episode here. Um, go ahead. Welcome, everybody. Make sure you can hear us. Okay, go ahead. Literally continue what you were saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I was listening to the, the call. And during the call, when the, there was a question about factories at, uh, that was asked, and if you listen to Elon's answer, he says 2023 and the following year that there were going to be two separate announcements. He didn't, and it could be more than two, but it was clearly both in 2023 and in 2024 by his statement. Now, it may not happen, but I caught it, and I think it was not unintentional. Do you think Nevada was that factor announcement for this year, or do you think there's a different one? Yeah, I think it's different. Yeah. I think Nevada is just more of an expansion. That's how you would look at it. Yeah. Because I, I know the, the Mexico one and the producer wife, you can find this on Twitter. I, I, maybe I'll, I'll send you the link. But I think that the, the Mexico one is uh, it was rumored to that they haven't reached a deal. And supposedly it's going to go live March. Uh, they're going to announce it in March or something. Did any of you guys see that uh, as well? Or was it just me that came across it? Somebody in the comments, see if you can confirm that for me. I'll look for it on Twitter, too. But um, I didn't hear the 2024. Maybe I have to go back and re-listen to it. You know, the problem with all those, you know, when you hear it from the, the the location that's going to get the factory, you never know if they're just pumping and, you know, it's not based in fact. That's the hard part. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, I'm actually very interested because they're going to have to. They have so much stuff coming down the pipeline. But the one thing uh, the one thing that's been going on, by the way, welcome in everybody. <laughs> it was just, it just, I, I just felt like that was a good place to get started. If you're new with uh, to the format of the channel, this is our Friday community forum where uh, my community members jump on a live stream with me, and we just, uh, you know, sit down and chat everything about Tesla, uh, whatever's going on in the market, whatever else comes up. Really, the goal of these forums is to be as informative as possible and to really get the community together and figure out okay what's going on the last week what's going to happen in the next next few weeks maybe for the year just to throw around ideas and everything so in the comments section obviously feel free to do that uh, as well we want to keep the comment section nice and lively uh, all ideas are welcome all discussions are welcome just make sure we're all respectful to each other and we uh, you know we allow ourselves to really just uh, uh just just throw out ideas and see and see where they go so uh, the big thing that has happened this week uh, obviously quarter four earnings from tesla uh, they they beat on some lines, they missed on some lines, but really the big story I think, uh, and I love to get everybody's thoughts, is how the stock has been reacting since since the earnings report. Uh, during the earnings, when earnings came out, it was flat. I mean, when we were tracking the, uh, look at this beautiful producer wife, just on fire, just a seasoned veteran now. Um, Tesla stock is up almost nine percent for the day, up to one seventy four. If you look at when earnings was released, which was 125, if you go to that last, right before where it says 126, babe, do you see that? Uh, like in the bottom, it says 126. Hover hover over that candle. So go up a little bit and then to the right a little bit. Yeah, right there. A little bit more to where the day ended. Yeah. So we ended the day at 144, and then now we're up to 174. So we've gone up 20 bucks, which is, somebody help me do the math. Um, what percentage increase is that? Uh, a bunch. We've got, we've got up almost 20%, almost 20%. Yeah. So pretty big run up since the earnings, uh, big run up here in the last, uh, hour or two, uh, Tesla bears and Tesla shorts in dismay as we speak. But, um, why do you guys think this is happening? Maybe we'll go down the, the row here, uh, Rodman, then Hans, and then Richard, and we'll turn the conversation. What, what's going on? What, what's, uh, what I mean, doing? I think the first thing should be obvious that 
the first thing that happened was at the end of last quarter, people are harvesting losses. So that's probably a big thing. Um, and we just had no news. Like people didn't know, like people were assuming the worst. And now that we see that it's not hitting as bad, it was clearly oversold and people are buying back in. Um, and then, you know, I'm not sure how much short interest there was, but clearly there's enough uh, people piling on that anyone who was short is going to get popped. So, yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I think I would agree with Rodman on those points. And then, uh, yeah, I thought we were, you know, I was just listening to the community and I was thinking this at the time. The sentiment was so bad that, you know, when the sentiment is that bad, we probably bottomed at that point in time and like fingers. But like when Lee kind of sold off, that was kind of like the signal. Well, it's so bad that we're probably going in a different direction. Um so I think we were just way oversold and it was just not a reasonable valuation at that point in time. And it was a natural point for probably there were a whole bunch of algorithms that kicked in at 100, 101, and that helped. And then just people started FOMOing back in, which is part of the problem, by the way. It goes both ways. So when we went down, we went down like a rocket. And when we're going up, we're going up like a rocket because a 75% move in one month, that is ridiculous. That's not a healthy, I'm talking about like the, for the greater stock market, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for a stock to go up and down 75% in a month. That means that there's something, I, this is my view. I think there's something amiss. And just to throw it in, today, there's a march in Washington at the SEC uh, regarding the naked shorts and the issue of na naked shorts. So you might see it on the news uh, tonight. And the uh, chief enforcement officer, of FINRA resigned this week also. So there may be other things in the background that are con contributing to this. And as we discussed kind of before, there are technical traders that would say that technically, this is what Tesla should be doing, that it should be going up to like, we were talking about it, that on the technical basis, and we were somewhat skeptical about the accuracy of the technicals, but on the technical basis, it might go up to like 190 and then kind of, form like a, a it's forming a cup and handle and then drop and then go up back above 190. So I think all those factors might be playing in. Okay. Um, go ahead, Robin. Yeah. I mean, if you think about to December 1st, so I'm on Yahoo Finance, December 1st, we were at 194.70. So Sorry, can you pull up the chart, producer wife, so we can look at it together? Put it up, pull up the chart again, and then let's look at the, uh, your September, so let's look at the six months chart. Uh, go to six months, perfect. Okay, and then yeah, right. So if you just hit December 1st, it's like the beginning of the slide. Yep, that's the that's like where it peaked, and then it just like went downhill from there. Um, <laughs> so by the time we hit December 30th, 30, what. You know, we're we're looking at what is that 120? So, yeah, like that whole month we just had no news except for, you know, 
Elon was taking over Twitter and like everyone was like everyone was just getting really upset. And I think a lot of it had to do with margin unwinding, which is like it's the almost it's it's practically the opposite of what happens when it's a short squeeze, right? Short squeeze means people need to cover their short position, so they have to buy it higher, and then that pushes the next person that pushes the price up. And so that people are um, that have the short positions, they keep getting knocked off the ladder. Well, like a margin squeeze is the exact opposite. Um, people are, you know, you might have a pretty good margin base, like uh, protection. And then uh, someone gets hit and then they have to sell off and it drops the price lower. And so the person who's next on the line, that's like got just a little bit less cushion like they get knocked out, so they have to go cover, and then it just keeps going down the line. And who had the biggest margin position? It's Elon, right? So he had like tons of margin, and I believe that's why he had to sell. Um, I could be wrong, but that that's been my thinking through December. Um, and then now we're back in a place where we actually have news, and so everyone's like, "Oh, it's not so bad," you know. The banks kind of are seeing like a full picture again and they see that things look a lot better than they thought. So, and then I think the price cuts just set everything up for, it's like, Oh, like Tesla will survive this next year and maybe other people won't. So. Yeah. Go ahead, Hans. Yeah. The two things that I want to mention are just uh, long-term and on a fundamentals basis is just uncertainty in the market. But then to also touch on like, it's not just the margin calls that were creating the downward squeeze, but also, and this is something that I believe Matt Smith has talked about a lot, but when you have a bunch of longs with call options out there, the on the back end, the market makers have to hedge shares to be able to fulfill those things uh, if the options expire um, in the money. But then as the price goes down, the number of shares that they have to have to hedge that and be delta neutral goes down. And so it also can be kind of a compounding effect that as the price goes down, then market makers can roll off the amount that they have to hedge with. And then as it goes down, they roll off. And so it's multiple forms of downward pressure that we've kind of been going through over the past month. But then, yeah, I think... I would agree with most of the things that have been said here. And then also we did see a lot of uncertainty about the business get addressed directly in the earnings call this week. And so knowing that we've got twice the amount of orders versus production in the first of the year, you know, our rate of production is the highest that it's ever been. And even at that level of production, we still have twice the number of orders. So if Elon and Zach and company are confident in their ability to operate the business at these level of price cuts and these level of price cuts create an insane level of excess demand for the company. Then we don't have to worry about demand this year. That And that's really been, I think, the key uncertainty that most investors have felt over the past month is what's demand, what's demand, what's demand, what's demand. And it's like, okay, we have the levers, we have the arrows in our quiver that we need to address any demand concerns moving forward. So I think that's the biggest two components of where we're at right now is 
we've wiped out all the people who had fears. We've backstopped the uncertainty, and now we can go up. You need to go ahead, Richard. Yeah, I was going to say, so there's another thing that, that figures into it. As the price drops, not only does the, the people get margin, but the maintenance requirements for their margin go up. So now they're required to have a higher maintenance, which triggers more margin. And it's kind of a, you know, it's a cycle. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, another factor, I think, and I don't think this is coincidence, but Tesla rocketed after the Toyota guy stepped down. I think that was like a real symbolic, psychological, uh, important move. Uh, you know, Tesla's, I mean, the Toyota's the big boy, sells the most units. They obviously, you know, well, my reading is they obviously realize that they're in trouble and they need to shift gears and they need somebody else to shift gears for them. And I thought that was a monumental change. That's a very uh, <clears throat> interesting point you bring, bring up because when I, when I saw uh, that link come through, oh my God, I'm trying to share a, a New York Times article with a producer wife and she can't pull it up. Oh, there you go. We got a Reuters one and a CNBC. Yeah, pick whichever you want. Um, so no, one of those two should, should work from your standpoint. So the, um, I agree. So Toyota CEO and president Aiko continue with, uh, without supporting, uh, on the bottom. No, no, no. On the bottom. Okay. <laughs> uh, Toyota CEO, if you scroll up to the headline, uh, and president Akio Toyota to step down, this was published yesterday around, uh, two 30 AM Eastern time. If scrolling a little bit more, zoom in a little bit more so we can see it a little bit better there, producer wife. Um, Toyota CEO and President Akio Toyota, 66, son of a bitch, these pop-ups, bro. Dude, surfing the web sucks so bad. Toyota CEO and President Akio Toyota, 66, will step down from his post on April 1st, which is in roughly two months. The automaker said today he will be replaced as chief executive by current chief branding officer, chief branding officer, interesting, Koji Sato. Let's uh, uh, read a little bit of the article. How long has uh, Koji Sato been at the company for? Do we know? He's Let's from see. Lexus, I believe. Okay, so he's been there. So Sato 53 has been heading the Toyota Lexus division and the Gazoo Racing Company since 2020. So he's only been with the company for three years, I guess. Um, interesting. So I agree with you. I think I think Toyota, but also uh, Akio has been at the company for a really long time, I believe, right? I think for at least 30 years. And I believe in, in and I mean, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, there's a certain culture in, in, in Japanese business that really rewards experience and uh, seniorship, I guess. Uh, am I am I right in, in saying that or? or yeah, uh, yeah it's the, he's, he's the grandson. So he's been there for a long, I think he said he's been CEO since 2009. So he's been there for a long time. Got it. So um, I agree. I, and I wonder how much of this uh, Toyota 66 is the grandson of the car makers founder and has served as chief executive since June 2009. Yep. And and so is this new CEO? Are they related to the family at all? Do we know? No, maybe. I, no. OK. Um, go ahead, Rodman. What are your thoughts? So like the, uh, this is like one of the clear signs that either the board or someone is saying, look at Tesla. Look at what you've been saying, Akio and you're clearly wrong and like even he like some of the messages that he's the things that he's been saying uh let me see if i can pull it up on my end um 
Okay, here we go. Sato Sato on Thursday acknowledged uh, Toyota must continue its green efforts. Energy security, for example, that is a big challenge that the whole planet needs to face. And also that the endeavor towards carbon neutrality would be one example of what we have to work on. So there's no language directly related to EVs, but they're talking about green energy and sort of this carbon neutrality thing. Um, it is a big deal. I mean, this is a big deal. This is a, a pretty massive shift in the in the legacy automaker. Now, uh, some people might say, well, you know, he's he's getting older. He's 66. He should be retiring. This is just part, you know, par for the course. But then you also have other news, you know, like uh, you know, Ford going really heavy in, into into EVs. There was one other one that recently happened. There was a re recent news thing that broke. Oh, Ford is looking to sell their uh, their plant that they're closing down to BYD. So like right sizing their factories uh, to, to what they think the decade's going to be doing, right? So just uh, some weird stuff's going on uh, as and of late. Then I saw today also that BYD just ordered two 7,000 vehicle transport ships that they're going to vertically integrate their export shipping. Um, so on top of purchasing a factory in Germany, like this is huge. This is scary for legacy auto. Like that is an unequivocal shot across the bow to legacy auto. Hey, we are BYD and we are coming for every international car market eventually. And you know, I think, like you said with Corey the other day, that's probably going to start with the most concerted effort in Europe. And so, you know, this is most scary for people like Renault and VW and, and that. But, you know, GM and Ford aren't far behind. Yeah. I, I was, by the way, one thing I was going to recommend, you know, they were talking about like commercial during the, the the earnings call. They were talking about he alluded to commercial other commercial applications. Uh, and we were talking about the semi for transporting their own vehicles. Right. Why not electric ships to transport their own cars across the waters? If they could yep. do it better and cheaper, why not? There was a, a Joe Rogan podcast Elon did a couple of years ago where where Elon was like, when when planes you know when planes or joe was like when planes and then you know it's like well the way we got to do it is uh he, i think he said you know semis first or cyber truck compact car semi boats then planes sort of going down the pecking order um and on the on the call i don't know if you guys have i would agree with this but there's been a lot of teasing from elon i mean he keeps getting asked these questions but he keeps teasing these like new products New products nobody's talking about. Nobody's talking about, and not I, just Elon, but also Franz, who's yeah. uh, you know the the stuff that y'all haven't seen yet is the stuff I'm most excited that I've ever worked on in my entire career. Yeah. So wind turbines and boats. Wind and turbines vans. is a terrible idea. <laughs> Dude, I triggered Matt so bad, and when I said winter, I, I actually call them windmills because you know my my uh, ESL uh, self. English as a second mm -hmm. language self is like, oh, windmills. Yeah, those are the wind things. You know? And I'm like, oh, no, it's actually wind turbine. So that was a nice correction. We can talk about that if you want to and why it's a terrible Please. idea, but we don't have. Well, so solar, I mean, the long and the short of it is that solar is on a much better cost curve. And just theoretically, from a first principle standpoint, like what's simpler? A solar cell that you can put on a little stand or on like you could even literally put these on the ground or a windmill 
or wind turbine that you have to uh -huh. like the only way that you can generate any meaningful electricity with a wind turbine is you have to get it way the heck up in the air like it needs to be hundreds of feet because the power that you can extract from the wind is a cube function with wind velocity and so and then wind velocity just gets much higher the further above the ground that you get and so the only way that that works is you got to get that thing way up there and so that's why windmills and wind turbines are huge man you got it stuck in my head now Good. um <laughs> that's why wind turbines are huge and that's why they're so tall um and so it's just a very difficult product to make like logistically and then think about the size of the concrete foundation that's got to be in the ground to support that thing and then it, yeah it's just like there's very few places where wind energy makes a ton of sense um whereas solar is extremely scalable it's easy and so like if it's hard to make wind an addressable power solution for the entire world well how are you going to get those doublings of cumulative production that allow you to ride down the cost curve on Wright's law um that solar can do so like solar is just a way easier solution it's going to address way more use cases way faster than wind turbines ever will and so yeah, the thing that makes the most sense from Tesla's standpoint, from a leverage standpoint on accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy is first, you got to do batteries because you can't do a lot of solar or a lot of wind without batteries, period. So that's the big bottleneck. You got to address that. You have to do mega pack. And then if you want to do something with generation, it's way easier to scale solar than it is wind. Now, sure, Tesla, with their advanced manufacturing technology, could probably make wind turbines a lot cheaper than somebody like GE if they really set their mind to it. But it's just a low ROI effort, in my opinion, personally. Hans, just to, just to clarify, the older you get, you will see it's much easier to make wind as you get older. <laughs> I was wondering why you were smiling so much. I'm like, this this guy's got a joke in his head. <laughs> you don't have to be old to realize that. <laughs> I wish we had like a soundboard, like a that we could play. Producer wife, that's your job for next one. Um, the, so it sounds like it sounds like it's a solution that doesn't make a lot of sense from a cost perspective and a manufacturing perspective. Is that because of the current manufacturing practices and the logistics challenges that that's the case? Or is it literally right within the, the like, is it one of those things where t Tesla capitalizes on, which is extremely difficult problems that appear to be very stupid, that they go in and be like, hey, guess what? This is actually incredible. And y'all just didn't do the math to make it happen. And then the reason why I say that is why would, why would Elon, um, why would he keep saying solar and wind as of late? He keeps saying solar and wind, you know? Well, it is it is a good renewable source, but there's already, I mean, when he started Tesla, no one else was making electric cars. Like we already have a bunch of companies that are making wind turbines that are good enough. Like they may not be the best wind turbines ever. There's a bunch of car companies making cars that are good enough. But not sustainable energy cars. There's a huge difference. So like... Wind turbines are already a sustainable energy technology. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of room to improve the efficiency of the wind turbines themselves. 
Um, so unless, you know, they can figure out a way to do wind turbines that are on a balloon that have a lot less infrastructure cost to get them high enough up in the air, which, you know, that's a, a theory that's been thrown out a lot in the past where you can reduce, yeah, like you don't have to have the giant stand and the concrete and all that, but that has its own problems. Um, I don't know. There are just a limited number of places for Tesla to improve the overall efficiency of what the wind turbine is, which is not to say that there's no opportunity, just limited. Um, so yeah, I that's where I say that I think that most of the opportunity would be on the manufacturing side, just making it cheaper and maybe figuring out some ways in the logistics to, I mean, these things are huge. Like just transporting the blades is an enormous, like everything about it is a huge undertaking. Um, what if you make so the factory where you would, where you would, uh, make the windmills <clears throat> where you put the windmills and just localize all that stuff? Possibly. Yeah. If they had some sort of, a mobile, a mobile if, way to actually, yeah, make it and, you know, and put it if up. transportation is going to be super cheap because of the semi and say the, the boats and stuff, and you're able to generate power locally with solar and wind, why, why not just plop down the factory where you're going to put the windmills or <laughs> wind turbines? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just conje I'm just speculating, yeah. right? I'm just asking questions. I'm trying to learn. Yeah. When, when we drive, Rodman's probably done this. If you go out to Palm Springs, there's like, a, you know, hundreds and thousands of these giant, this, as Hans has described, windmills that sometimes move. And Palm String, Springs has about 32 people there. But there's a lot of wind turbines. I'm exaggerating, of course. But there's a lot of wind turbines. It doesn't really seem to cor correlate. It seems like a lot of wind turbines to supply a very small population. Oh, they're not supplying that population. All that is getting transmitted long distances. So that's the other thing. The, the place where you can generate the power is not the place where you're using the power. So then you have to set up all this remote. Like we've got tons of wind turbines here in texas too usually they're out by amarillo or lubbock or the west part of the state where there's literally no people and there's tons of wind um but yeah the there's a lot of incentives from the federal government for utility companies to have sustainable generation as part of their portfolio which is the only reason that those wind farms ever got set up in the first place was because it made the only way that it made financial sense was for the federal government to incentivize it which you know that was probably a good move overall because we needed to accelerate the technological development of wind turbines um but yeah these things don't pay for themselves and there's a whole like all the stuff that we're talking about is the reason that they're not not economical to set up whereas solar is already an economical form of generation without any sort of subsidies but isn't isn't the 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 reason why the wind turbine is so economically rough is because of those transmission losses and because you do have to you know you have no real way like in I guess what's going cost, through my there's mind such a complex uh, piece of machinery that they only have like a seven year rated life and so they don't pay back their initial capex investment over their rated life with the amount of electricity that they're generating, or at least it, this was the case back in 2012. Um, I, I used to work at a company that we cr made the utility cable that would link all the different 
um, wind turbines in a farm together. And it, that was the case when I kind of went deep in the weeds on wind back then. And how, how would mega pack change the equation? Like how, if, if you introduce mega pack and then you're able to actually harness the energy locally so that you don't have to like specialize this for, for like long transmission use cases, how does that change the equation and say through there, manufacturing, you're able to like solve the maintenance. There's never enough thing. local demand where a farm is for you to be able to use all of that power locally. Like you set up huge farms that are able to power small cities but you set them up in places where the only town is, you know, a few hundred people, a few thousand people maybe. Um, mm -hmm. And so you're never, you're never going to use all of that, that wind power locally. Okay. Uh, it's always going to be transmitted somewhere else. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. <clears throat> My only thinking is, you know, knowing Elon, he's like rethought everything from first principles, like from like the generation to like, transmission uh voltage changing like maybe he's rethinking some of that stuff and he has some formula that he's like oh this is a big enough opportunity big enough market and it it fits with the mission that it's worthwhile um like i don't know like the thing i'm thinking of is like you know like how dyson rethought the fan right so if there's something where they can harness power with like less moving pieces or something like that maybe that's maybe that's something that they've discovered i mean that's total speculation but i imagine that if he's thinking about it like he's not just building a non-reusable rocket right he's like doing something that's a true innovation that that's a step change well yes and no so i mean i would kind of push back a little bit there apart from fsd there's nothing that tesla has created that there wasn't already a proof of concept out there in the scientific community. Like they, Tesla is great at producing engineering breakthroughs to commercialize things that we know scientifically are possible um, from a physics standpoint. So the, you know, like piezoelectrics would be another example. Like how would you generate electricity from wind without having a big spinning rotor? there are a limited number of options for us to do that. Piso is one of the foremost that I remember researching back in 2012 uh, again. And yeah, very limited ability for that technology to be able to scale and generate meaningful electricity. So it's like, it's basically the same argument with batteries. Like why is it so much more effective for Tesla to just go all in on scaling lithium ion battery production rather than develop solid state batteries because it's a commercially viable product that is on a massive cost curve like Wright's Law cost decline to be scalable not only from a technology standpoint but from a cost standpoint. And all these other technologies that are possible with wind are nowhere near, you know, they're they're basically in the same bucket as solid state batteries as far as commercial viability. Yeah. Can you, can you use solar power to uh, run the electric uh, motor that runs the turbine? So the the turbine doesn't 
it gets powered by the wind like it only spins because the wind is spinning it and then that spinning is actually running a generator in the wind turbine that is generate like the the wind turbine is not consuming any electricity it is a pure producer of electricity when it's, it's like, on it's like sending yeah a semi down the hill and then turning on the the Regen. motors yep. to regenerate the battery exactly. and, that, and that's exactly what i'm thinking it's like if if tesla is building these amazing motors that and maximizing the regen cap capability of a semi going downhill right that's the same kind of i mean it may be it's not the same but it's oh gonna be, i mean it could be in the same ballpark right of, yeah tesla 100 percent could make a wind turbine and they would probably make one that would at least compete with if not be superior to existing wind turbines it's just not a bottleneck and there's not that mm -hmm. much room for improvement like Anything they do there is going to have a much smaller impact Marginal. on accelerating yeah, the world's transition to sustainable energy compared to other places where they can make much larger gains. It's like you, yeah. you're going to a tree where all the fruit has been picked like 70% of the way up the tree in an orchard where you've got trees all around you that haven't been picked at all. It's like it. that's just not the okay. tree to go get fruit off of. Fair enough. Um, so you and Matt Smith are on the same because I, I you're the you both I try to pick both your brains on this because you both uh are very uh <laughs> producer wife in the chat the chat is like don't mess with the ants for anybody who gets that reference. Shout out. I am a wizard, <laughs> yep. never late. Um or a wizard is never late. So okay. So here's the deal. If if they come out with a with a wind turbine, I'm gonna make a shirt that says windmill and then you have to wear it. Fair? Oh hey. hundred percent. Okay. All fair. Done. I would uh, wear. The, I ship it to you. you. They don't even have to do that. You can make the shirt, and I'll still wear it right now. Today. Okay. Perfect. All Actually, right. it should say, "I make wind." I make even better. We'll make you. We'll make two versions, and then and then we'll we'll see we'll see which one like who likes the best one, and then we'll 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 have you wear that one, and then Hans can wear that one. It'll be perfect. <laughs> so, I say all of this today, as a person who seriously investigated trying to run my house on wind power here in east texas mm. okay fair enough um okay let's see what happens <laughs> uh let's go ahead and pull up the the one day chart for tesla stock uh so we're up 11 percent um we're up to 178 for the day uh so weird <laughs> it's so i mean we're up 11 percent. that's like insane yeah. two days after earnings too i mean it, it really it really highlights just how how beat up the right i mean so look at rivian so on the right there producer wife you want to click on rivian rv rivn on the middle there perfect so what's how's rivian doing for the day is it a similar yeah similar chart pattern uh gm can you click on gm let's see mm, ford right below it Ford. Okay. And then what's another uh let's look at Lucid. So on the upper right hand corner where it says quote lookup. Oh, it's right there. Perfect. 12%. So I wonder if the EV sector, so I wonder if there is a, a big rotation into some of these like super beat up stocks from late last year, uh, where folks maybe are seeing the writing on the wall and they're saying, okay, maybe the EV play is the right play. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know shit about nothing. So I think it generally runs like in this industry, it runs if Tesla runs. 
If Tesla goes, then everybody follows. If Tesla yeah. do drops, then the converse is true. Um, let's look at uh, the, the demand because one of the things we were talking about from the call was that Tesla was uh, talking about how well their demand has been doing lately. So producer wife, can you pull up the link from Matt Jung? It would have been, uh, let's see, the Tesla data dot net. Uh, shout out Matt Jung. So this is a link that tracks Tesla's new inventory levels in the United States as well as used. Uh, I'd like to take a look at this live. So go ahead and pull that up, uh, producer wife, when you get a chance. Um, it's daily inventory. Okay, click on home on the upper right-hand corner. And then let's click on, oh, we're just on Model Y. Okay, I'm sorry. Under new existing, new in existing inventory, which is the second section, click on Model Y for me. Perfect. Okay. So the big spike was the price drop, the price decrease. And it looks like we, st we still are seeing steadily decreasing inventory, a little bit of a spike in the last couple of days, um, but there's still a, a downtrend. That was when, uh, so when did they announce the $500 price increase? Was that Monday, Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday. Somebody in the comments correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was, it was I, I believe it was a day before earnings or two days before earnings. It was sometime this week. Um, it was, I believe it was Tuesday. Tuesday. And so if you hover over that dot, when, what date is that? Is that 125? This one on the left, 126. Okay, so so there may have been a s little bit of a spike in inventories because of that price increase of 500 bucks, but there's still an overall downtrend, even from before. So go back to home and then click on model three, new inventory. Okay, so it's so you had the price decrease with a big spike down, and now there is a increase uh, since January, what, 18th, babe? If you go back to the bottom there. The bot, uh, what is that, 18th, 17th? Yeah. So there's been a steady uh, increase in inventory uh, in Model 3. Uh, click on Home again and go to Model S. Steady as she goes. Okay, so it looks like they've probably reached an equilibrium with like supply and demand for that car in the U.S. I, I, I Speaking from like, you know, this is something I used to do in my previous life. Like, I, you know, put a price... A strategy in and see how uh everything works so it looks like model s is actually probably where they want it they want some stock in-house and they want it to kind of be in equilibrium so that's good so click on home and go to model x okay increasing so that one that guy probably needs a price decrease um or needs some sort of incentive actually it's, uh, it's up to 400 which is around the same level as model s okay so maybe um model x was depleted in relation to model s all right, we'll see, we'll see how that one uh, evolves. But the Model 3 one is interesting. So if you go back to Model 3, um, yeah, I'm curious how, how this is going to sort of balance out in the next few weeks if they, if they have it where they want it. They still, you know, the key thing to remember here is that they still want some sort of inventory in-house. They, they don't want to be at the bottom because that, that means customer wait times. That means people, you know, people are not going to be able to get their car right away. So you want some sort of inventory in-house. And, and no that? test drives either. Like you have to have inventory exactly. in your sales locations for people to do test drives. It's really an interesting spot because in order to get that Model Y long range under to where consumers can get the EV tax credit, like it has to be so low. It's almost like the Model Y long range demand lever that they have is binary. It's either on or off and on is like insane demand and off is like not much demand and so i think what 
you're going to see, if I had to guess, is they'll leave it under um, and they'll just let the wait time for the Model Y end up being the thing that pushes people more towards Model 3. Um, just like, I don't, I don't see what other... Because they can't go above the EV incentive and then back below it and above it and below it to manage the wait time on that because the optics around having price swings that are that wild would be awful like customer pushback on hey you know i bought it above and then you just change it back below like that that's not going to work so yeah it's it's kind of a tough spot that they're in to manage their wait time without i mean well the other the other lever that they have is just massively ramp up their ability to produce model y long range out of giga austin and yeah. i'm sure they're pedal to the metal on that one and I, I noticed on those charts, the x-axis, the numbers were different. So it gave you kind of like a different view. So I think when I, what I saw was the Y and the, and the 3 have about the same inventory, about 400 units each. Even though when we looked at the chart, one took a big dump and one did not. Am I correct? About 400 for I both? I think Y is less than 400. So uh, Model 3 is at around 450. So go back to Model Y. Uh, 200 250 and while yeah. while we're on here robert you can see that there's a cup richard. with a handle i'm oh, sorry richard <laughs> Boy, uh, come on. my friends call me robert oh, oh really <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we're friends then but there, there's a perfect cup with handle right and it shoots right up there right oh yeah sure uh, yeah yeah no <laughs> that's you know you know exactly what's going to happen i mean yeah. if that's the case that's that's a bad sign um <laughs> No, no, the, it's a good, can, oh, yeah, it's right. Tesla inventory yeah. levels to the moon, guys. Yeah, not good. We definitely <laughs> don't want that. Uh, go, uh, go ahead and pull up that link I sent you, producer wife, for the Tesla home screen. There is something interesting though. I don't know if this was here before. Model Three, Lisa, starting at three ninety nine per month. Is this the first time they've done this? Yeah, that's new. Um, someone retweeted like the demo drive appeared and the lease price right there. Okay. Go ahead and click just, on Model Three at the top. And that's just in the last day. There it is. Schedule a demo drive. Click on that. Let's see what it does. Okay. Okay. So you can schedule one. You can go test it out. So they are trying. They are trying to push Model Three. I mean, it's it's, which is good. Which tells me then is maybe they maybe that four hundred unit level is kind of where they want it. You know, four hundred units in inventory across the United States. And depending, how many service centers does uh, Tesla have in the U.S.? 300? 150? Something like that? Um, probably like 150, right? 50 states, there's probably two to three per state. 150 on average, call it. Um, and then so 400 divided by 150 is what? Like, no, that's not enough. That's like two to three Teslas per service center. <laughs> that's not enough. Um, interesting. But they're trying to keep their their days in inventory low. Yeah. So you guys, you guys feel like, um, I mean, the message that I get. Let me just kind of get my brain out, and then I'll pass it around. Is that Tesla is very much on the war path to destroy every other automaker from a pricing standpoint. So that's that's the clear strategy for 2023. And they talked about this on the call. Price matters, right? Elon Musk himself said, price matters. So. We're going to pull every lever we can that's humanly possible to try and flood the market with Tesla so that our production lines up with the demand. 
And the fact that they don't have a dealership network, I think in 2023 is going to become a gigantic advantage because you remove any barriers between the customer and the company to purchase a car. Whereas now, you know, I'm, I've, I've been really trying to research the state of the auto market, the dealership networks, you know, legacy auto. And because of the sort of, you know, the rate hikes and, you know, the slowdown that we're going into, I think a lot of the things I'm seeing is the legacy auto industry is having a really tough time selling cars because of multiple reasons, but the dealership network's one of them. It looks like there's a lot of dealerships out there that purchase inventory on loans, on debt. And now uh, because of deflation, it, you know, partly because of Tesla's price cuts, now a lot of these dealers are underwater <laughs> with some of the stock that they have. And so they're unwilling to lower the prices too much because that means selling at a big loss. And whoever does that at a dealership, you know, is going to get fired or, you know, it's, it's so, or, or it's worse. They, they might actually go out of business because they, they've taken a gigantic loss on, on those loans. So how is that going to play out over time uh, for, for 2023? How, you know, Tesla at 2 million cars per year globally is going to be the, so let's, the U S will probably get say 800,000 of that call it. The auto market in the U.S. is probably going to be somewhere around 13 million. 10% of 13 is 1.3. Uh, so, so Tesla is going to be about 6% of the total U.S. market in 2023. That's, that is not, that's significant. That's a pretty big deal. And so, because really, who's the biggest seller in the U.S.? Probably Toyota uh, or Volkswagen or something, right? Or Ford? You know, and they have what uh, they sell how many million units in the U.S.? Probably like two or three million per year or something like that. Um, so they're already half the size of Toyota-ish in the U.S. Just from a pure unit perspective. So you have price. You you can dictate pricing in that manner. So if Tesla says, "Okay, guess what? I'm undercutting everybody now, and I'm going to flood the market with Teslas," everybody else is going to have to react. And when you have a dealership network in the middle, that you know, I don't know any dealer. Ship folks, and if there's anybody in the comments section that's uh, part of the dealership network, I, I don't mean to say this to offend you, but I've never had a good experience at a dealership. It's always a, a, a battle to try and get a good deal. And then when you haggle the price, you have to sit there for two hours to wait for paperwork. And then you always leave like you got ripped off. <laughs> so it's like, okay, how is that going to work in an environment where you have an automaker that's just like, this is the price. Uh, it's better than most people. You can take it if you want. Oh, and by the way, the car is awesome. It seems like a winning formula in this environment. Uh, what do you guys think? I was going to say that I forgot to mention this. The Toyota, that that's kind of what I'd heard was the kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back. When Tesla was going full volume but could still do twenty percent, then Toyota kind of lost their. You know, where are we? We do full volume, so and we can't make money. We can't make money doing that. And I think that was the the breaking point. Yeah. Any other thoughts there, Ottoman or Hans? Uh oh. Anybody You're muted, Rodman. My my short key, my shortcut keys aren't working. Uh, looks like GM just topped out Toyota. Uh, I sent the link in the private chat, but yeah, looks like. What does it say in the text there? Uh, there's a chart like one page down. Little graph. Sorry. So it looks like GM just edged out Toyota this year. 
So GM uh, in the 20, 2022 in the U.S. is going to sell, uh, sold a little bit over 2 million cars. Toyota sold about 2 million. Ford, a little bit under 2 million. Stellantis, one point. Okay. So yeah, you can so, see the gray bars are last year and the blue bars th this year. So GM grew year over year. That's That was one stat that we saw. I think 4% year over year they grew globally. So good for that. Mary's, I'm telling you, man, Mary's leading. Don't, yeah, don't let what, anybody what, tell you she's not. What amount of that is electric? Like four, Nothing. 40, 43, <laughs> 43 cars? Yeah, very, very, very little. Um, but this is eye-opening because I think I think tracking this for the rest of the year is gonna be is gonna be fascinating to see. Yeah, eight percent drop in car sales 2022 versus 2021. 15 million forecast for 2023. So they think they think the car market's gonna grow a million cars year over year. There's no way. Do you guys think that's possible? The car market in 2023, 15 million when everything's like at a standstill and the economy is like shrinking? Only if there's no, no recession. Only if there's no recession. I mean, that's concerning it, to see. Like the price drops with Tesla, like if you just put that across the whole market, like it, every, like we've already seen shrinking, right? Everyone shrank last year except for GM, which just barely grew, right? To say that it's going to, like suddenly change course, like yeah. it requires some major change at like the Fed level. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see it. Let's go ahead. Um, I think, yeah, the comment that Elon made about insurance pricing, how when Tesla offers competitive rates in insurance, that has a cascading effect on the prices that other insurance companies are able to charge also is relevant to the car market that tesla being at the level of volume that they are at the prices that they're offering puts a lot of pressure on the rest of the auto company and so yeah that's you know demand issue is a concern for the overall auto industry and tesla has moved to say hey we have the ability to capture all the demand that we can supply everybody else i don't know like that's up to them. Yeah. Shout out to the thousand people watching, by the way. Thank you very much for joining us today. Throw us a like if you're enjoying the content. YouTube. <laughs> uh, what topic do you guys want to hit before we get into some Q&A in uh, 15, 20 minutes? Is there anything you guys want to talk about? The two factories, you know, like yeah. I said, the two factories, I mean, I, I think one will be announced in March, my guess. Um, yeah. I don't know what else is going to be announced. Um, the other, the commercial application that he alluded to at the earnings call, I thought that was interesting what those products could be. And I was thinking like, could it be like an uh, electric hoverboard, like back to the future? Uh, it, you know, uh, I heard knows? Van when he was saying that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was that the reference that they're going to have more capacity for the 4680s and just for the semis. And they kind of left that hanging out there without kind of addressing that, but it suggested some other use that was a positive information, although a little vague. Yeah. What? Go ahead, Hansen, please. Yeah, I think that one is specifically interesting. Uh, assuming that they're going to be high nickel 4680s, I mean, we don't know that for sure. That could be that they're going to have some lower energy density 4680s as well. But if you do assume that it's higher energy density cells, then you are talking about getting into things like vans, things like potentially boats or other, you know, the 
lower end of the car market is almost certainly going to use purely LFP. And so the use cases for high energy density 4680s is limited. And then the other thing, based on how much of the factory footprint is going to expand to supply those 100 gigawatt hours of batteries, that means that they are gung-ho on DBE technology being used for both cathode and anode, which we know from Jordan and the limiting factor that currently they're only using it for, I think the anode, but not the cathode. I can't ever remember which one. Um, but yeah, so in order for them to achieve 100 gigawatt hours, it just means that they have a lot of confidence in the place that they're at with the ramp of the 4680, that they will be able to use DBE for both and that their, their ramp in Austin is on track to achieve the long-term goals that they set for themselves. So do any of you know like what the approximate cost of Austin was or Berlin? Like it's like in the, yeah. So that's interesting because yeah, it's like, it's, it's like kind of below somewhere between two and three. Right. And then when they announced the uh, expansion of, Nevada, it's three and a half billion, right? So like something doesn't add up there. And it's like, it's three, it's like more than half built. It's like two thirds built or maybe like three fifths built. But like for that two fifths that's left, what's going in there that's 3.4 billion. And that's kind of what like kind of piqued my interest. Um, I don't know if anyone has any thoughts about that. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the density... There's got to be more stuff in there. I mean, the, the shell, really, when it comes to like building something out, the three point the say the three point six billion yeah. or two point six billion is not really the building or the land. It's the stuff in the building. the right. The building and the land is relatively cheap compared to everything else. So, one could make the assumption that whatever machinery, or um, I don't know, technology they're putting in that building, is way more dense than your typical factory is. Uh, for Tesla, I mean, a $3.6 billion project for GM is probably a million square foot facility that's incredibly inefficient, right? right. But for Tesla, a, three, a $3.6 billion facility is uh, an incredibly <laughs> densely packed technological marvel, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, I, I mean, also, this, it, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I also think all in that Berlin was a lot more than that. Because I remember hearing numbers that maybe the construction cost was, and I think maybe what Farzad was saying, maybe the construction cost is X, but to deliver the factory in working order, it might be X plus three, four billion. So I think maybe that the three points, I think it was 3.6 billion for the Nevada. Maybe that includes all in, not just construction, but all in. And maybe the all in part is the expensive part everywhere, all the interior robots and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it, it's a great question, and it, you know, they did make a highlight where they said when they were uh, unveiling the uh, Nevada factory, they were pointing at the forty six eighty new section. They're like, look at how small this is in comparison to the other thing we built. I'm like, huh? Yeah, you're right. And it's supposed to pump out three times the amount of capacity for one fifth of uh, square footage. Yeah, it's like four, it's a hundred megawatts versus 40 megawatts so the existing thing is barely 40 megawatts and the this new section will be over 100 which isn't the isn't the lathorpe uh, location tiny also though the isn't it it's not that big but they're not making batteries there 
they're megapacks. taking external batteries by other suppliers and assembling them into mega packs. So that, yeah, there's a, a little bit of a difference there. It's basically a cabinet manufacturer. That's really what what that facility is. You don't need that much that much uh, space for that. Um, there was one when I was speaking with uh, Matt on the on the mega stream we had on Wednesday. It seems like they're building one of those every hour. It sounds like I could be wrong, but a mega pack an hour or so, or maybe a couple a day. I forget what the stat was. Um, but if you really think about it, for that for that type of we just you don't need that much room, man. It's just like you're literally just taking a freaking closet and you're stuffing some batteries in there. You're putting some wires. You put it in a truck and you deliver it. And they're charged $2 million for each of those freaking <laughs> closets, you know? It's wild. It's wild stuff. Sounds like you'd really also is. can do all that with robots. You could. Does anyone know how many gigawatt hours of battery production Giga Austin and Giga Berlin are rated for? Because that might also tell you a lot. Like, if they're rated for lower amounts and then we've got 100 in Nevada, that might be the... The thing yeah. that would tell you why it, it's so much more expensive there if they're you know if it's two or three or four times the number of lines um but yeah that's definitely something i'm going to look into after the stream today the other thing that i was going to say is i just it is a little bit confusing that they're putting that in nevada after all the trouble that they've had hiring labor and so our I mean, maybe it's a signal that hey we think the economy is going to be that bad to where there's going to be a surplus of labor in the country looking for work and we can attract them to the middle of nowhere in Nevada to do the things that we need to do. I mean, those are advanced jobs. Like that's not going to be simple labor. Or they think, I mean, or they, or they're banking on heavy, being able to heavily automate it. And by the time they're able to attract the talent, they're going to be able to get to a hundred gigawatt hours or whatever that number is. I don't know. I could be wrong, but that that's a great point. Cause you're right. That, that region was, uh, they had a lot of struggles hiring the workforce they have now. Um, unless they're planning of building out a bunch of like uh, stuff around it too, you know, like maybe they're going to make it into this awesome place to go live. But uh, that's going to. It was only three. Time. I think they only said three thousand jobs. So I mean, that's it's, right. It's not additional. an incredible number. So yeah, additional. Um, should we do a little bit of an extended Q and A uh, for the last say twenty thirty minutes? I did just want to make one more point before we transition to Q&A. And that was the the other big thing that stood out to me on the earnings call was Zach saying that the business and management are going to be focused on managing the business for operating margins moving forward. Yeah. Um, I think that that is huge for a couple of reasons. Obviously, it signals that they expect growth in other areas of the business um, compared to auto. But the other thing to me is I think we just need to reiterate to investors to set expectations that Tesla is not going to be growing earnings at the rate that the most optimistic people in the community hope that they will or expect that they will, um, at least on any other part of the business besides FSD and software revenue, that like Elon said, affordability really matters. And so they're going to put the pedal to the metal on growing massive scale. This, you know, master plan part three, they want to get the most number of sustainable energy products into the market possible. You do that by bringing costs as low as you can manage while still running a healthy business. Um, and they're going to do that by managing their entire 
company mix both automotive and any new products to operate in, you know, we'll say the 15 to 20% operating margin range for the foreseeable future. Um, but that means that, yes, they like, <clears throat> if you look at it from an analyst standpoint, that analysts volume expectations are probably low and maybe analysts margin expectations are high net net it's going to be an insane level of just pure dollar profits um but maybe shifted more towards volume and less towards margins yeah where, where do you think they'll come in at 2023 for, with have you have you, any of you guys done any sort of work to see where where you think the numbers will come in for 2023 like earnings wise i just let matt <laughs> do my thinking there sorry <laughs> yeah he does a great job um i i just plugged them in into my model here let me actually have producer wife pull it up just so i like being uh i like throwing these numbers out there because uh it's a place for me to uh see how wrong i am <laughs> over time it's really fun and then it gives content for other people to shut on me it's great so <laughs> go ahead and uh pull up that link producer wife when you get a when you get a chance uh, so I have Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 by quarter. Um, go to the second tab where it says earnings at the bottom there. Perfect. And uh, yeah, so for full year 2023 on the bottom right hand corner, I have them coming in at $16.8 billion in earnings. Um, and that's sort of the quarterly breakdown that I have Q1 through Q4. Uh, if you scroll down a little bit, babe, the so I have auto margins coming in at 22% in Q1, 23% in Q2, 24% in Q3, and then 20, back to 25.3% in Q4 as Berlin and Austin ramp, and some uh, an additional FSD adoption, probably not a lot, but a little bit. Uh, that margin increases mostly from going to be from uh, economies of scale, really, and then energy gross margin. So last, last quarter in Q4, it came in at 12, and the quarter before that was 9. And so I'm kind of uh, expecting a similar level of increases from a growth, energy gross margin percentage as Lathrop ramps and more of that Mega Pack 2 comes through, which should be at a much better cost structure. And if you scroll up, scroll up to the top, babe, producer wife, everybody, uh, row number 8 on the energy I have Q1 coming in at 16, 1.65 billion, which is about 300 billion more than Q1, or 300 million more than Q1. And then I have it sort of steadily increasing by about that amount each quarter as they ramp up to uh, 2.6 billion, which is double uh, Q1. And so I'm, I'm using that, basing it on the fee, on the sort of um, uh, feedback that we were getting from the call that said um, that energy is growing uh, faster than the car business. I don't know by how much faster. Now, the the if if this grows at sixty percent instead of fifty percent, it's still not going to be that big of a material impact to earnings because it'll go from, you know, being a billion to half a billion or something. But uh, it would be interesting to track that as as the quarter goes along. And then the rec credits for the cars, which is row five, I still I still have them in for twenty twenty three because they came in at four fifty in Q four. There's a lot of rec credits coming in. The one thing I'm struggling with is I don't know how to model. Well, I mean, Zach did say there's going to be about 150 to 250 million dollars of credits coming through because of the IRA, which I'm kind of not uh, taking off from Cogs, you know, 
because that's how I would kind of do it. Is it'll be like a, like a like a credit, like a savings of sorts. Um, but I I still gotta I, I gotta pick Matt Matt's brain on that a little bit more. But that's kind of where I have it at. And sixteen point eight billion for twenty twenty three. What was twenty twenty two's full year? Uh, you guys remember? Let's see if I can pull it up. Twenty twenty two full year was uh fourteen seven two. No, I'm sorry. Twelve uh twelve five fourteen fourteen non gap. Oh, actually, it will be gap right because this is all gap. Uh, twelve five. So it would be about a uh increase of sixteen on twelve is what a thirty percent. Yeah, thirty three percent. So it'd be a thirty three percent growth in earnings. Um, anyway, those are that's where my numbers are at. I don't know if you do guys you, have any. Do you what's your total number of sale units for the year? Yeah, scroll down a little bit. Uh, so uh, can you uh, so 450 plus 480, it's uh, two million. Yeah, I have it at two million. And does it and make ASBs are does it make in row sixty? Does it make that, a difference which factories are producing that two million? Do you, I mean, is it um. So I, I don't go factory by factory. What I try to do is I try to say, okay, this is where I think Tesla's cost savings are going to come in on the whole as they scale up Berlin and, uh, and Austin. And I'm going to assume some sort of increase in margin quarter over quarter. The person that does it much more uh, diligently from that perspective is Matt Smith, for sure, because he goes by model by factory. And it's like, okay, I think I can make this margin percent on this model at this factory. Um, but I, I take it more whole, like at a, at, a, at a high level and say, okay, this is where I think directionally the margins are going to go. But I have two million uh, for the year. Go ahead, Hans. I was just going to also shout out Stephen that I cannot underscore enough. Yes, he he does also uh, you know a similar very granular bottoms up model. Fantastic work he does. Yeah, yeah, those two guys are way better at it than I am. Actually, we shouldn't even be looking at this. Take it off the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, Hans, did you have any other points there? I know you were going on a... That was... Yeah, I'm done with the operating margins thing. I would say that the... You know, based on the research that we've seen on Megapack from zero sum over the past month, I think that there's a lot of upside on your margin assumptions there that are potential. I don't know, you know, where the 50 over underline would be on that. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to track, but I still think for the next year or two, it's still not going to be that big of an impact to earnings. It, it all depends how, how will the market price this in for the future? So if the market says, okay, I can clearly see that this business is growing more than 50% year over year, and it's going to continue to do so for the next five years, and your target margin for this business is 50%, then, you know, if it's 2.6 billion in, 23 then 50% let's say you know 50% on that is another uh you know three point what is that what's the math on that like 3.4 right and you keep you just keep going up uh you go to five then you go to 7.5 and then you go to 10 and you keep just you just keep going up the the ladder that way and then once you get to a 10 billion dollar business at 50% margin that's 5 billion additional per year to net income and then if you times that by a, a PE of, I don't know, 20, that's an additional $100 billion market cap, right? So, and if, the, and if you do, do a DCF on that, then you just arrive to some sort of price level to the current. But it's still small compared to the auto business. So that's the thing, even if you do that math. So unless it grows like at 100%, it, 
if it grows at 100 percent, it's a different story then you go from 2.6 to 5 to 10 to 20 to 40 in five years and then a, a, a 20 multiple on, on 40 billions all of a sudden 800 billion dollars 800 billion dollar market cap the math changes so that that growth rate on the energy business is going to be fascinating to watch uh, and what what makes it interesting i'll give you the mic here in a second i'm sorry Hans. let me just finish this out the because they are closets in a factory you th- you would think that they're capacity constrained from the battery perspective why wouldn't they be able to crank out a ridiculous amount of closets <laughs> out of this factory why wouldn't they it's not that hard I, at least i don't think just conceptually speaking you just stick a bunch of batteries in a place you hook them up to a wire you put them on a truck and you go and you own your trucking you own your flatbeds you own the semi you're taking the cost out completely and you own the logistics so you don't have to wait on timing from a freaking uh black horse or a, a old dominion or a ups or a fedex or whoever other company you choose to do you're 100 vertically integrated for that entire side of the business so why wouldn't you be able to ramp super fast there's no complexity sorry go ahead yeah, I was just going to say that the Lathrop factory having a 40 gigawatt hour rated capacity and then installing, what was it, six and a half last year? So that's over a 6x increase just for them to reach rated capacity. Um, so, you know, it's hard to say over what time period they will see that sort of ramp. But that's one of the reasons to pull to think that they are going to grow faster than that 100%, at least for a short period of time. Sure. Uh, Ronan, go ahead. Uh-oh. The hotkeys, bro. They're broken. Yeah, my, the hotkeys. I'm, I'm clicked on the wrong spot. Uh, this popped up in chat, and it's also on Twitter. Uh, Lucid uh, apparently stopped trading on rumors that the Saudi private investment fund is buying out Lucid. Not surprised. So, so what does that mean? I mean, I think the reasoning is, I mean, my first thought is clearly it's a reaction to Tesla dropping prices. Like, like who's buying a Lucid if if a Model S just drops? I have a, yeah, I have a different uh, take on that. I, I, I sued Lucid. I think their, uh, their management are not um, truthful. And that's been from the start. And I think that's reflective of where they are now. And I think it was always the case, I believe, that the Saudis would move this to Saudi Arabia because it makes perfect sense to diversify away from oil. Start your own electric in Saudi Arabia. And yep. the high end it makes more sense that the Lucid is kind of a higher end because it would serve that class in Saudi Arabia. So I think it's been a setup from the beginning. My, my it's a perfect Saudi vehicle. I 100% agree with you. I, I, I saw so many sort of, uh, you know, a lot of folks, you know, were expecting Lucid to go bankrupt. And I'm like, there's no, there's just no way. What's it, it, It's much more, 40, up 40%. Yeah, and I just saw, uh, it was on Seeking Alpha as well. Lucid stock jumps and made Saudi Arabia fund takeover speculation. I wouldn't be surprised at all. It's it's the perfect car for that market. Listen, I saw one in person a couple of days ago when we went to the gym. It looks freaking nice, man. That's a nice looking car. But it is not a, it's not a high volume profitable car it's gonna it's gonna be very niche it's gonna be like a like a maserati competitor or you know like a down market rolls royce competitor jesus <laughs> well, their, their problem is they can't produce so they need to right. completely redo their production production line and i and get rid of existing management and that's probably what they're gonna do 
Well, they can produce. They just can't sell now. <laughs> no, they, they literally can't produce. They, if, if you go back to the original estimates of production, their right. original estimates were t- even after they they reduced them, they were 20,000 and 22. And they didn't, that was deliveries. And right. at the end, they they produced like 6,000. So that wasn't well, even deliveries. So well, even, even with these diminished production, they have, I think they delivered basically half of what they produced in Q4. So like they're sitting on half their inventory is unsold, at least at some point. And then- Yeah, part of that also was production. They couldn't get certain parts. So they would have basically almost nearly completed vehicles, but missing like one or two parts and they couldn't sell them or deliver them. That's crazy. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's it's again a reinforcement to sort of what Tesla has been able to do. It's and yet another yet another tip of the cap to the Tesla team that says, "Yep, what you guys are doing is not as easy as it sounds, is it?" You know, um, this is just the be- it just feels like the beginning. It really feels like the beginning. Like it, there there are things now falling into motion that I think folks have been speculating about that would happen because of the disruption. Like we haven't seen the disruption yet. We actually haven't seen the disruption, if you really think about it. What we've seen is the entrant start making waves. But now that the entrant that's disruptive is disrupting at scale, now is when we should start seeing those dominoes fall where we think they will. So you have, you know, like, it just becomes obvious that there's really only two players globally, maybe. Uh, Tesla for sure. BYD perhaps. You know, we still got to see... BYD hasn't had a competitor from a price perspective before either. Like that's another thing we have to keep in mind. And half of their volume is hybrids. So what happens now when when your prime competitor, quote unquote, actually goes down to your pricing level and says, "What's up, buddy? How's it going?" You know, who's who? Who's really the competitor here? <laughs> I mean, that's a great point because if if you're competing with their hybrids, right? Suddenly they had a cash cow and. If, if exactly. I, I haven't seen what the pricing is of the hybrids, but like if if Tesla's within striking distance of that stuff, right? You know, maybe that really changes the game of like what the formula, what the math looks like for BYD, mm-hmm. um, and and you know they're relying on those those hybrids to to pull them through. So, right. I always thought BYD was what was the uh, basically the backstop for Tesla's existence in China. That BYD's expansion across the world made Tesla kind of uh, safe in China because if China did anything to interfere with Tesla, they would lose the ability to have all their companies uh, sell cars internationally. So I always think BYD is kind of a protection for Tesla. And and, uh, BYD is not the only, like there's three companies that are kind of in the forefront of uh, Chinese EVs besides BYD, Xpeng, uh, Mio, and Li. And Li also has like a mix of um, hybrid and um, electric. And it, it's questionable whether they could survive ultimately. So it may be the case that even those companies aren't able to survive other than BYD and probably Neo. I think Neo is kind of a favorite of the Chinese government too. I think the argument that we make all the time about it not really being EVs versus EVs, but EVs versus gas cars um, holds true also in the reverse direction for BYD. 
that yes, like Tesla may be able to outcompete them on a pure Bev low cost volume product. But I think a BYD produced even hybrid is probably still going to outcompete pretty much anyone else besides Tesla. And there's still so much market left to take there that they've still got a lot of runway ahead of them. It is, you know, long-term, it is a concern, but I don't see that as being a near to midterm concern for them. They've, they've got some time to figure it out. Yeah. Anything else before Q&A? Q&A, let's do it up. Producer wife, only bring up the best ones, which will be all of them, because we have the best community ever. Thank you so much for joining us. Cash King, why is Lucid up so much? Because uh, the Saudis are buying them, is the rumor. And uh, we don't know for how much yet. The news just broke, but we're waiting for more information. Uh, it broke about 15 minutes ago. They're, they're paying $3.49, I heard. That was the price. Total. Yeah, because that's probably how much they're worth. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're waiting to hear uh, more, but if there's more news that come through, we'll break it live. But um, yeah, it sounds like the Saudi will take them private at a certain whatever price, which means Lucid will no longer be public and they'll have literally unlimited cash to stay alive forever. Um, so that's why. Thank you for the question, Cash King. Let's do the next one. Uh, Joey, uh, question. Do you think Tesla will buy up legacy auto factories once they start to go under? No. I don't think so. Uh, the, the factories are not really optimized for the, the proper flow of product that Tesla is looking for. They're very like, you know, the, the, the buildings are very, very broken up and they're optimized for gas car factories, not optimized for an EV factory, which can be way simpler. It would just be literally you're just you're just buying something you're going to tear down anyway. Uh, so I, I do not see that happening. Could Tesla buy Lucid's Arizona factory or the footprint? Um, I don't think Lucid would ever get rid of it, but if the shell is conducive to them getting in and going quickly, they might. But it's not that big of a factory, though, is it? It's like not even a million square foot. No, it, no I think it, maximum capacity is like 90,000 full, fully built out. No use. You're better off just building your own. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Thank you, Joey. James Farzad, quite this. I love James. James, dude, he's on my comments and he always ends his comments with giddy up. Shout out, James. I love him so much. Question Which OEM do you think will go bankrupt in the next two years? Giddy up. Um, in the next two years. In the next two years. GM has a shitload of debt. That's all I got to say. GM or Volkswagen? Stellantis. Stellantis is my pick. I keep forgetting about Stellantis. Dude, I just forget about it even exists. Yes, I agree. It's what a terrible name. By the way, it's a terrible name. <laughs> it's Chrysler in my head still to this day. I can't call him Stellantis. You know? But but Jeep has a Jeep that is qualifies for the eighty thousand yes. dollar. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. It's yeah, nice. yeah, it's great. The the Jeep Wrangler. 4XC with 20 miles per gallon, 21 miles of range qualifies. So obviously they're fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Stellantis or GM, if I were to guess, but or Volkswagen, those three. Or maybe they'll Volkswagen. combine. Maybe Stellantis and GM will combine. It, it is time for consolidation. If if I'm these automakers, I'm starting to thinking. I'm starting to think consolidation quickly, and um, try to avoid bankruptcy in any way possible by doing that. Which means mass layoffs and factory shutdowns so the economy will be impacted negatively by this for sure which we're already so seeing we'll see. which we're already seeing exactly hans did you have a guess 
I think I would go with Stellantis too, but it is just to get like, <laughs> it's such a, the thing that I can never wrap my head around is what role our government bailouts going to play in this whole thing yeah. and who's closest. And, you know, Stellantis is connected to governments. GM is connected to governments. Ford is not so connected to the government, but they've also proven that they're the most nimble of all these legacy OEMs. Um, man, Volkswagen, I don't know. Volkswagen might be the one that stands out the most to me just with, I mean, I don't know what leg they have to stand on moving forward. It's it. I'd be scared if I was them. Looks it so also weird. might correlate to when we are in the election cycle and who's running and or who won and what their affiliation is with the UAW and all those things. Yeah. That dude, I, I'm so fascinated to see what happens with the UAW this election election cycle because you know GM, Ford, Stellantis, these guys are going to have a rough couple of years. And you know they're going to try to lay off workforce because they won't not be able to stay alive. So how is that going to influence the election? Well, I mean, that's going to become a huge topic of discussion here in the next few months. Can you believe the election is next year already? Can you believe that? Insane. Where have we been? Oh, yeah, COVID. Next one. <laughs> uh, from Gerard. Thank you very much for the question. Question. How many Cybertrucks produced in 2024 after production ramp? Ooh. Uh, so we got a warning uh, sign, a, a warning sort of from Elon that says, do not expect any volumes for 2023. It was going to be very low. So I'm like, I have 1,000 in my head for 2023. And I will not be one of those 1,000 probably. Sad face. But um, I'm going to say 50,000. 50, wow. Yeah, I, I ran that poll on Twitter and a lot of the a lot of the guests like the the majority of the guests was like in the sub 50 so i i'm thinking like conservatively 20 okay. uh, optimally 50 would be great Hans? i don't know like i think that they can ramp up fairly quickly with this product um it's a lot of batteries, though. I would give it the over on 50, though. Really? I yeah, I think I would. I mean, just think about how fast production ramped in Shanghai. And I know it's a, you know, it's a much bigger product. New platform. New platform. No paint shop. Yeah, but no paint. Exactly. Like they've learned so many things from all those lessons. Castings. If so, I would caveat this. If they can really ramp 4680 supply, I think they can do it. I think they can get more than 50,000. I would say in the 50 to 75,000 range in 2024. Okay. Richard. I mean, Robert. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I will, I will do. I, I think they'll do. Uh, uh, about 6,000 in 2023, 1,000 in September, 1,000 September, October, 2,000 November, 3,000 December, and 50 to 100,000 in 2024. If they can get the 5,000 uh, done properly by the end of 2023, I think they will do substantially more than 50,000 in 2024. Oh, I, I just realized that we're talking about 2024 versus 2023. Yeah, that's yeah. a different question. Oh yeah. You had ten thousand for twenty-three then. Or yeah. twenty thousand for twenty-three. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, so for 2024. 20, oh my god. I I mean, and everything is exactly like what Hans is saying. It's you got you have a much simplified process for putting this vehicle together. I mean, it's stainless steel that's bent, right? You don't have stamping, so you're eliminating that. You're eliminating paint, which is another huge bottleneck. So yeah, this is. I mean, hopefully, hopefully they're really in it to win it, and then we see like another place pop up where they can do more cyber trucks in the U.S. So, so the the thing that they bragged about too on the call was manufacturing technology. Like we are, we're gonna have okay, prove it. You know, let's yeah. see it. So where where's your head then, like number wise? Uh, like give us a number. Come on. I, I want two hundred, at least. What? 200,000. Yeah. I like, think they might hit a run rate in the upper hundreds and some by the end of the year. I do not expect damn. 200 delivery or, you know, production in 2024. Yeah, I, think, but, I think a max of 100. A max of 100. Dude, if you nail this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If you nail this, you're going to be a legend. Listen, if they do 100,000 cyber trucks in 2024, let's take that. Really good. Let's take yeah. that uh, profit. Yeah. Yeah. I just think there's such a huge backlog of like orders. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like they need to like, yeah. they need to like ramp that shit. Like, I mean, sure. it, like, if this is everything that like I want it to be, like, as far mm-hmm. as like reducing costs and like making a really optimized vehicle, like they need to get this out. They need to show that they can manufacture the hell out of that thing. Yeah. I would not be surprised if target capacity in Austin is 500,000 Cybertrucks per year. And so I do think they need to be on a run rate that is a significant way towards 500,000 vehicles per year at the end of 2024. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I like I said, I I could definitely see a run rate close to 200,000 by the end of the year. And the, the second question that producer wife came up, uh, brought up there is thank you, Gerard, for the question. Uh, <clears> if you can go back to the uh, backlog, I mean, that's really the question. It's not, yeah, the production yeah. ramp will be all the way through 2024. They'll still be ramping at the yeah. end of 2024. It'll, you know, that look at how long it took them to ramp up Shanghai from initial, like, yeah, it's going to be a while. Yeah. yeah. It's all in the batteries, right? Yeah. It's, it's going to be battery limited and seeing them throw up like 40. Uh, I mean, I guess we could do calculations later, but like uh, that 40 gigawatts from, from uh, in, Nevada. in Nevada. And then maybe other people are coming online. LG. Uh, other people are ramping up 4680s. They're supposed to be hitting in 2024, maybe 2025. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting about the backlog, though, for Cybertruck is a Model 3 had a half a million car backlog by, by the time they launched it. And the run rate for Model 3 per year is somewhere around that number right now. It's about half a million Model 3s per year. Model Y is a little bit more. I think Model Y is like maybe 700. Um, and then so 500 times 700 plus 700 is 1.2. 1, 1. And then you add an SNX, gets you closer to 1.3. So it's like somewhere around there. So if that trend continues for Cybertruck with their 1.5 million rumored, if that's true, reservations, um, but it was also 100 bucks versus the Model 3's 1,000 bucks, right? Okay, so you got to take that down. 
Okay, never mind. Just I'm I'm an idiot. But that's gonna take forever to go through. That's really the, the lesson we're learning here. Um, unless they <laughs> they crank these suckers out like crazy. Because if the 1.5 million backlog really holds true and their max capacity is 250,000 per year, that will take at least at least six years to go through. I don't think that's acceptable. And that presumes it doesn't become the featured product uh, in right. the whole line. Right. Crazy. Crazy implications. Uh, let's do a couple more if we can. I think it's uh, Stefan Bettered. Media Cafe Online LLC. Very official name. Thank you very much for the question. Would like to hear discussion about FSD level 2345 autonomy, RoboTaxi, and Hardware 34, but would likely require Hardware 4. Fascinating question. So one of my takeaways from the earnings call, not takeaways, but this is now I'm starting to be in like a little bit of a gray camp is like, I'm not so sure hardware three is going to be able to do robo taxi. I think it will. Right. Okay. I would agree with Rodman, but not immediately. I think that they will have to solve robo taxi all the way with four. And then eventually they can um, simplify the software and be able to backload it into hardware three. Got it. I thought from the call, I was, I I was, it was unclear. I, I, I'm Farzad's camp. I thought it was a little more unclear. I think a little bit of like, like maybe um, it would be helpful to know, like if Tesla came out and said, so we expect, you know, I mean, he's been doing that forever, I guess, is that we expect to be finished, you know, feature complete by blah. But then what is the strategy? Level four will be our test run a RoboTaxi uh, hardware platform. And, you know, once we feel confident that this will solve it, then we're going to be able to put it in a hardware three. Have they had any verbiage around that or no? Did, did I miss that? Or are we? OK, so but, that would be helpful. You know, I mean, I guess the only thing like go, when I went back and listened, um, <clears throat> he was talking to Pierre Faragou right before that, and he was saying, and Elon was saying that like that the margins from FSD. I mean, I guess he didn't really spell out. They doesn't say robot taxi right there. there. That's yeah. the thing, right? Because yeah. there's there's a big separation, and I think maybe this is what that helps. It, it maybe this will help the Tesla community. I think a self a full self driving car that is not a robot taxi is still a giant margin bomb meaning that it's still going to people will buy the Tesla because they don't have to drive and it'll add thousands of dollars of margin per year easily, easily. But then the robo taxi is the thing you can add to the network that makes money for you. It's two different products is what I'm hearing. But I mean, if we go back to AI day one, like the whole premise of that whole day was that all these vehicles were going to be part of the robo taxi network. So if they don't follow through on that, that's like a real it's a loss of, I mean, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I it's could practically be wrong, right? a promise, right? But it's, it's not a promise, yeah. but it was a vision. And if they don't follow through on that vision, I think a lot of yeah. people have made decisions based on that. And like, I talked about this with Hertz, right? Hertz has basically said, we're investing in this and in the future, all these vehicles can be robo taxis. So, I mean, yeah. they may not have said, okay, we are expecting this to 100% happen but they are placing a bet on that it will be a possibility. So yeah. like if Hertz with how many ever thousands of cars they have of, of Tesla's, if they're not getting in on this, I think, and then an equal number of people just 
as buyers owners I, yeah. I think a lot of people are still just discounting the value of ffd at level three and four Period. where Agreed. you have to like if you don't have to even pay attention or have your hands on the wheel unless the car tells you to like that's a significant level of value added to FSD as a product, especially if they can do that at a level of safety that, you know, is probably 10 times safer than a human. And so I think hardware three is going to be perfectly capable of level three and level four autonomy. Um, and that that is going to be a massive game changer in, and they'll, you know, they'll pursue an aggressive pricing strategy. Uh, I've been saying this for a while now that they'll offer free trials you can use the software. They'll offer you tiers. You can buy the level three tier. You can buy the level four tier in a subscription. Um, and that once you experience those products, then they'll have a, a pricing strategy that's meant to optimize revenue and take rate. Um, and that that is huge. Um, but yeah, I, it, you don't have to get all the way to RoboTaxi and all the question marks there about do they have enough nines in the March of nines? How does the regulatory outlook look like? You know, you can do three and four probably. Um, you can just backdoor that in. And that, to me, once they offer that free trial of FSD to anyone in the United States, uh, to me, once that signals done. that that future is on lock, that the level of safety of the system is to such a place that elon's not worried about pr catastrophes caused by dumb people doing dumb things with the system um yeah so i, I think that's that's my stance on where we're at and that yeah with hardware four that gives them a little bit more leeway to experiment with ways to get all the way to a robo taxi future that they don't have with hardware three um and yeah it just gives them a few more tools in the tool belt to to solve it the rest of the way yeah i think i think the thing that has me and i'll give it to you richard then we'll wrap it up here the thing that has me just a tiny bit concerned and it's not like really concerned about the company's success or anything like that just how this is going to play out is that when they said that hardware 4 was going to be an expensive retrofit on hardware 3 cars to me signal that there is not just a camera and computer replacement here is that uh there is a placement of cameras wiring harnesses and etc that might be part of the system that could be potentially needed to get to a robo taxi safety level and in, in, based on the conversations they're having with regulators because average safer than average human by say 200 300 percent i is that good enough for robo taxi right um i don't know i don't know the answers to these things uh and it could very well be that Hardware three is absolutely going to be able to be added to Robo Taxi network. Uh, I'm just it's just when I heard that I'm like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean that it's you know expensive to retrofit? And I get Tesla always wants to make progress. That's fantastic. I love that for them, uh, and it's phenomenal. But yeah, you know, and I agree with Robin. I mean, if if they they are selling the products, it seems like as if they're going to be able to be added to the to the Robo Taxi network. And so, you know, Tesla doesn't Tesla doesn't lie. They're just late, right? So um we'll see it's just hearing that it was an expensive retrofit was interesting because it implies more than just a camera and computer swap sorry richard go ahead I mean, oh, no, don't, be, don't be sorry i think uh i think didn't he say that hardware four was going to be in the cyber truck yes uh and i uh, so separate and apart from that he also said that most accidents were minor 
And so I'm, I'm wondering if he's thinking that, you know, since they're going to do the insurance, they could do the repairs, they can cover everything. And if most accidents are really minor, you know, just like really minor, then maybe FSD is looked at in a little different way also. If you basically control every aspect of the transaction, maybe you look at the risk a little differently and um, maybe you proceed differently. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let's wrap it up there. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, everybody in the comment section for keeping the comment section lively. Thank you, Rodman. Thank you, Hans. Thank you, Robert, for joining us today. Uh, if you do want to follow these fine gentlemen on on uh, Twitter, uh, you can also see their handles. If you want to, uh, uh, let's go ahead and show them. So you, those are all their Twitter handles. Please go follow them. Right, Rodman? That's your Twitter handle too? Or yeah. no? Yeah. That's it. So make sure you go follow them on Twitter. Uh which is the best social media network on earth. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's still kind of crazy though. It's a lot of, a lot of haters for sure. Um, thank you everybody in the comment section. And of course, last but not least, producer wife, another phenomenal job. Thank you very much. Rockstar. And uh, yeah, we'll, now we're going to take it to our private discord. If you want to join us in that discussion, uh, consider becoming a patron or joining through YouTube. We continue these discussions in that place. And it's, uh, I'm super proud of our community we're building because there's some very healthy debates in that discord. I feel like, we're doing a really good job with that and keeping it just all about ideas and thinking about how the future is going to unfold, not just in electric cars, but literally everything. We're trying to figure out where the future is going to end up in the next five to 10 years. So consider becoming a patron or uh, signing up through YouTube for access to our private Discord. Go ahead, Richard. And thank you, Farzad and CM. And have a good weekend, everybody. Be well. Thank you very much. All right, everybody. Bye, everyone. We'll see you there. Bye.